and welcome back to Clarissa Explains Life podcast. And we are on episode nine already. Um, so this is part two of my interview with my wonderful mum. I got such great fe- great feedback from the what the first part one, uh, and I have to say more and more reflecting on it, how much I didn't know about mum's life. You know, I knew bits and pieces about her time in London, but I did learn so much. And I was only talking to who was I talking to? Someone. Oh, t- we were. I was watching Tommy Tiernan with PJ last night, and he was. It was recorded. Recorded, and he was talking to I think Ardlo Hanlon, who was saying how much more time he has spent with his mother recently, and you know learning learning a lot about her as an adult and I I turned to PJ and I actually said that I said you know that's what I loved about doing the interview with mum you know as an adult learning stuff about her that I obviously I don't know everything about her but it was it was actually great to do and that's why I've really enjoyed that and looking forward to this one as well probably I probably know less about the time coming to Ireland than I do about London because London it was about you and me whereas this is about everything else that came after it so anyway hello mum Mitch hello Clarissa um we're recording over zoom so if there's a slight chain difference in um sound quality that's why but uh, mum doesn't have expensive recording equipment mind you neither do I but anyway you know what I'm trying to say so how first we'll do a little catch-up so we're what seven weeks since your knee surgery today isn't it Tuesday today seven weeks today my god how re- and how is it all I'm pretty good really it's it's a very strange journey because um I actually wrote in my diary when I went to bed last night that yesterday was my most pain-free day. I actually forgot to take painkillers during the day. Oh, my goodness. I know. And today I'm suffering again. But the suffering is so minimal compared with, you know, what it was like at the beginning. I'm walking around the house with no stick, no crutches. Um, I'm being very good girl and doing my exercises and I go for a walk down the road but I do use crutches when I go outside for a walk simply as a precaution and as a safety measure not because I need the support probably gives you the mental support you know a little bit of mental protection yes Mm. not that there's anything to do with the subject of this um of this podcast but as I was saying to you before, it's so odd when you've been in pain and you know this because of your feet. Yeah. But when you've been in pain for a long time, like four or five years, I suppose, uh, previous, you know, prior to having the operation. Just to give an example, coming downstairs. I mean, it must be five years, I would say, since I've walked downstairs properly. Like, you know. Wow. Yeah. Free from, you know, one step before exactly for four or five years I've been doing you know right foot left or naturally left foot right left foot and the mental effort (laughs) of 
persuading myself to walk downstairs free flowing. I cannot tell you. Oh, I know. I I I remember that, and that'll last for you know a few months. You'll you'll have the old it's muscle memory. So you'll have that whole old muscle memory where you're still trying yeah. to protect yourself from the pain. And actually, that's a very good point. It is protection, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you still don't quite believe that you're not like then after a surgery, you have the surgical pain. So you're still yes. protect, trying to protect yourself from the pain. And then you start to heal and you start to realize that you don't, that both pain, well, the first pain is gone anyway. The mm-hmm. surgical pain is getting less and less. So you've got both of them. Your, your subconscious mind is still trying to protect you, but it's still, it's also your conscious mind is going, no, I'm, I don't need that anymore. I don't need to be protected anymore. And it does wear off, obviously, eventually. That's, you know, but it is, I get exactly what you mean. Very And odd. you get into a habit of, you know, again, the protection. You're prote- when you have a lot of pain, chronic pain, because any pain that keep, continues after six months goes into being classified as chronic pain. So you have chronic pain for years. And you actually, you might go through a phase where you'll actually mourn in a very weird way, mourn that identity. I've spoken about that before. And actually I might even do a podcast on it about when you finally eventually do get some sort of surgical intervention, if you're lucky enough to be able to, you will actually mourn that identity. I was that person who had really bad feet and had chronic pain from it. Who am I now? Who am I going to be now that I don't have that? And you go through that part of it as well. So it, well, yeah. Haven't we, haven't we previously spoken about um, phobias being exactly that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. One, one of the reasons that you don't want to deal with a phobia is because not only do other people know that you've got a phobia about, and we won't mention either of our phobias, <laughs> <laughs> they're different incidentally, but um, but I can't imagine being Mitch without my phobia. Yeah, it's, an, it's, a, it's called secondary gain in terms of neuro-linguistic oh. programming. And that's, you know, there's a secondary gain, your conscious mind, uh, your conscious mind doesn't want you to have that phobia anymore, but your subconscious mind is trying to protect you and keep you safe. So it's all about the safety thing again. And something happened to you where you felt unsafe and that's how the phobia developed. But then there's the secondary gain of, again, as we've just said, that identity, who would you be if you weren't who would I be if I was Clarissa who wasn't arachnophobic anymore, you know, um, oh. and having to to re to re-identify myself and yourself. So, yeah, it's all it, it's mad. It's mad. And it is it's funny because I also think the whole thing around pain and I'm not saying I'm talking about me. Um, and post-surgery the whole thing about around grieving the pain or grieving that person that you were was also around to a certain extent the attention you got from having those issues 
albeit, you know, it was a little like, I, and I can see how some mostly mothers develop Munchausen syndrome, you know, where they, they, the attention they get from their child being sick, you know, from making out that their child is sick is, it's, it's mad. You could go down a whole different avenue with all that. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk that's about. This, this, that's the end of this week's podcast, yeah. our discussion on mental blocks. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So where we got up to with the the last podcast, we ended when <clears throat> you found out you were pregnant with Anna. Um, you and Tony were basically together. I know there is a story to tell about how my father, how you, how you told my father, um, making uh, inverted commas. Told your father. How I told my father. Go on, you can tell the story if you want um, to tell it. I don't mind at all. Just before we begin, I'd just like to say thank you so much to everybody for their amazingly positive feedback to the last podcast. I was very, very touched. I must say. Oh. Um, I. I as you know, I was a little bit reluctant to do this. And as I said at the beginning of the last podcast, really the only reason I agreed to do it was because I felt it fitted in under your title of, you know, your life. Yes. But I was very touched by the, by the feedback. It was amazing. Did you amazing. enjoy doing it? Did it bring up stuff for you? It did a bit. Um, you know, as you know, I've been doing the story worth. So yeah. I, think, I think talking about it expanded quite a lot of stuff right you know yeah as long as you're not uncomfortable doing it <laughs> no, well, no you still have to do it by the way <laughs> oh yeah of course well I just hope that um this won't turn out to be incredibly boring but anyway did I in the last podcast talk at all about how I met Tony no now well, my understanding is that he was in a band and knew my knew my father and used to come to London and stay in your flat uh yeah that's that's half true right um he wasn't in a band he was actually the roadie for a band oh yeah well that's yeah, yeah. a band that lived in Somerset and as I think I mentioned because I remember saying something about private eye in the last podcast and you mm. have to excuse memory because I think I was only two weeks post op for the last podcast yeah. so Still you had, did really uh, well then, remember? <laughs> maybe that's why I did well. <laughs> Inhibitions destroyed by operations. <laughs> um, yes, your your dad actually um, met a guy who was in this band that we're talking about. They were called right. Satfia. And they were based in Somerset and he used to go down and stay in Somerset. And sometimes he'd come to London, I'm sure, to see you. And I would let him stay in my flat. John. When he, um, John. Oh, you'd split up at this stage then? Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. All right. Or split up, not really being together. I I was under a different, different. No. Right. No, I was tolerating his presence, but like... There was no, um, there was no unity in our relationship at all, in any way. Right. Well, he was a bit of a bully, but we won't go into that. Anyway, he used to talk about this guy called Tony, who okay. was 
who had just come back from India and who in a previous life had been a lion tamer and had worked in circuses. And I have to say that Tony is the only person I have ever met in my long life who looked exactly as I expected him to look. No way. <laughs> now, if you had asked me beforehand, what is he going to look like? There's no way I could have told you. You know, I'm sure everybody does that. They get yeah. a subconscious mental image of somebody, but they, you couldn't actually draw a picture. Is it more, so, less of, a, of an image, but more of a um, energy? I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And probably someone along the line had mentioned the fact that he had a Jimi Hendrix type Afro. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Indeed he did. So I went and you know what? It was 50 years ago this September. God, I feel old. <laughs> I went to a con the concert of the group called Satfia at the Wigmore Hall, which was a music venue in London. And I can still see Tony walking down the stairs with the aforesaid afro big um handlebar moustache and he was wearing and you probably even remember this an orange like indian type tunic jesus so that's how i met him and um when the band came up to london and, they and what were did doing you think the... when you saw him then was it like i mean was it lost um, at first sight were you you know, you'd yeah, heard of Tony, obviously. So were you a bit sort of, who is this Tony? And then you see him and you're yeah. like, oh my God. I mean, how many times in life do you meet lion tamers? Never. Well, you obviously know? once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People who've rodeoed, 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 who have been roadie for people like David Bowie. Yeah. Um, you know, like there was a little bit of, you know, starstruckness. Yeah, there was a bit, but yeah, certainly a large element of of lust as well. So how did you win him over? Well, obviously through my beauty, <laughs> charm, and general intelligence. Obviously, yeah. You would ask that question. Sorry, Mom. Anyway, fast forward a bit, because otherwise this is going to go on forever, and I can just hear the yawns of people listening. Um, what happened was when the band came up to London to do gigs, I used to let them crash in my flat. Our flat, I'm sorry, dear, our flat. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, something just, there was definite energy between me and Tony. Of course, it was slightly dampened by the fact that John was around. And that you had a two and a half year old. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you always came first, Clarissa. Mm. <laughs> and fast forward, John went, it's snowing. Is it? Just for it anyone listening snowing. to this in months time, what, what's the date today? It's uh, April uh, 6th of April and we have one of the coldest days we've had in quite a few few weeks and it was very fast snow today 
that so, was very unprofessional, but then I'm not professional. No, you're not. So okay. John, John went to Africa and my relationship with Tony deepened and became something quite important. John came back from Africa and actually there was a bit of a scare because I thought he was coming back on the Saturday. Tony was sort of in and out of the flat quite a bit. And then I, I can't remember how, maybe I rang the airport or something, but actually he was coming back on the Friday. So it was panic stations. And um, I went to pick him up at the airport. Aren't I a nice person? Didn't and you have to put all your stuff into Tony's stuff into oh, an old car or something? Indeed, I did for him to collect. <laughs> and uh, uh, in the car park of the flats, obviously. And um, when we came back, he ran a bath and jet lagged. And I, you were running in and out to him. And I heard you say, <laughs> Daddy. Tony sleeps in mummy's bed. And that is how John found out about Tony. <laughs> Mortified. I can't imagine that was a very pleasant uh, rest of no. that day. No, it was horrendous, I have to say. But um, anyway. Mum, you know that I have eternal guilt about it, so I get no, reminded no. of it every now and again. <laughs> I probably did you the biggest favour, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously, I was going to tell him anyway. Yeah. You know. And you were, if you weren't together, what was it, his business? Well, because he was so controlling and so possessive and so jealous, you know, all the rest of it. That so, what made so, you, What? when did the decision come to move back to Ireland or move to Ireland? Well, um, we were going to go and travel probably in India. Yeah. Oh. And then I discovered I was pregnant. Right. So we just have to take a bit of a break there. And if it if it goes again, I will tell tell you that we've taken a break. So, um, there's other people coming in and out of houses and stuff. So uh, we have to take that into account. So, um, okay, so to answer your question, um, as I just said, we were going to go to India and then I discovered I was pregnant and um, I had never been anywhere outside of Europe, actually, at that stage. And the thought of going to India pregnant was just like oh. <laughs> anathema. And um, so we went, we decided to go over to Ireland for a, to visit Tony's sister in Wicklow for um, a little holiday. And to be introduced, and, I presume? Yes. Well, yes, I'd met, I'd met Tony's English family. Yeah. Well, I mean, his, his Irish family that lived in England. Right. Um, just had to pause there again. So I think we were you were saying you had met Tony had family in England, so you'd met them, but you hadn't met been to Ireland. You obviously hadn't been to Ireland full stop and or met any no, of the never. Irish family. No, never. And do you know something? <laughs> the ignorance of the English about Ireland <laughs> could be a series 
of podcasts of my generation, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, really and truly. Uh, okay, so then I remember we arrived in Dublin off the boat, as you do. And we were hiring a car. It was early in the morning. We were hiring a car and Tony went off to find the where the hire place was and came back smelling of Guinness at 8.30 in the morning. Oh, around the dock areas, they have all these pubs that are, you know, yeah. open. I don't know if they still are, but they were then. And this was long before all the, you know, the M50 and all the rest of it. At this time, you drove out of Dublin through Bray. And mm -hmm. I will never forget, you, you came down the road and turned right for Wex, straight on for Bray, right for Wexford. And I'll never forget turning right and seeing the Wicklow Mountains ahead of me. And I had this overwhelming feeling of coming home. Wow. It was like, it was almost like a womb feeling of security and, and recognition. And had you discussed living in Ireland at this stage? Absolutely not. No, not at all. Hmm. So we went down to your auntie Kathleen's in, and yeah. in Wicklow, and she offered for you to stay there for two or three nights. And Tony and I went off doing a little circuit of Ireland and looking at places and it was really funny actually this is coming back to me we'd be driving along and because of the the history of Ireland so many people had to leave Ireland to find work elsewhere that at the time there were so many derelict houses mm. I'm not talking about famine now I'm talking no. about the economical you know well this was um, the early 70s wasn't it this was this was 1971, 1971, or no, probably the beginning of 1972, either the end of, yeah, it was the beginning of 1972. And of course, Ireland had only just joined what was then called the common market. Mm. And as I have been heard to say, it it's watching what happened to Ireland in the first years of being members of the common market. You know, most countries go through an economic um, uh, change, like a, like a butterfly emerging from its mm. lava. But Ireland, it, it, was, it was really odd. It was like they missed the bit in the middle. And that's why you, you saw all these dreadful, flat roof bungalows and developments that were just so gross because they didn't you know the common market brought so much financial benefit to Ireland it really did especially in the early days but not that feeling of progression from one stage to another am I talking rot no 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 I, I really do believe it I really do believe it you know mm. I mean living in England there was never that feeling of you know it was like a natural progression 
but it didn't happen in Ireland. It was like this bit in the middle <laughs> was missing. Yeah. I think that happens still. I think even in a weird way that still happens, you know, like the Celtic tiger, even it was like, there was no middle ground. It went from zero to a hundred. And then we had to face the repercussions, you know, I I get what you mean. It's an Irish mentality, I think, isn't it? Yeah. And I think when you look back on the, you know, the history of Ireland, you know, I mean, what have they got to base their solid, foundations on you know history has been so unkind to the Irish Mm. exactly absolutely (laughs) so you big Irish you big English woman you arrive in Ireland (laughs) I did a big English hippie woman by the way not even just you know (laughs) yeah so anyway we um we didn't find a house to buy so went back to England and then sort of, you know, Kathleen was sort of looking and we were looking from a distance. Not Nothing like the internet. Not on the internet or anything. Not on the internet, no, no internet. Um, so Tony came back to Ireland and looked around and all the rest of it. And we came to the conclusion that what we would have to do is actually rent a house and look. So we rented a two-bedroomed, thatch cottage at the top of a lane that went through a field now I'd never seen it (laughs) Tony came back to England and we packed everything up and he he, I can't remember if we borrowed a van or hired a van I have no idea Um, but in a van packed up what we were taking with us and um, he went over quite a bit before me and and you of course Mm. and so on I think it was July the 11th 1972 you and I got an on an airplane and flew to Dublin and Tony picked us up and we drove down now people would not be able to appreciate this now but like we now can get from here screen curricle yeah up to Dublin airport on a good day in under two hours back in the day do you remember I mean I remember when we used to take you up to the airport I mean back in the day when we could go to the airport oh yeah what is an airport (laughs) I remember going to the airport and stopping for a picnic and everything because it was such a long drive it was such a long journey in the glen of the day yeah and we would never have gone to Dublin and back in a day mad anyway so we arrived you and I arrived in what was to become our new home in the dark Jesus I know and we had no running water no inside sanitation as they say um tony had built what we called the tardis oh yeah remember the tardis yeah oh my god the 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 tarf stuff on the outside of it what was that stuff called is it tar um, um yeah no um can't think what it's called it yeah. is tar though wasn't it it's sort of yeah, yeah. yeah but it's not actually called tar no um, they put it on roofs as well yeah can't think what it's called um yeah so that was the outside loo 
I remember the smell. The blue smell. The chemical smell. Yeah, that's what I mean, the chemical smell. So I remember the next morning getting up and of course in my head it was a lovely sunny day yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably was if it was july and walking up the field and the field was a solid carpet of field marigolds which are like a an orange daisy i remember that so clearly so there I was in my um, long hippie dress, up through the field of, oh, oh, this is lovely. And all <laughs> oh, look at me. I'm, I'm so free and living the life, living the good life. <laughs> yeah, the good life. Oh, my goodness me. When reality actually dropped. <clears throat> I oh, mean, dear. you know, I have to say that I had something of a privileged upbringing. I, I, I remain to this day actually, probably not the most non-practical person you've ever met. But I'm not a very practical person. Oh my God, I'm you more, are. Well, I wasn't then. No, I bet me. you weren't then. <laughs> I could do nothing. I think the only thing I had ever painted in my life was a why I remember this I've no idea was a wardrobe for you in London because I can remember painting it yellow on the um the balcony that ran along the um the flats I I mean if you I don't know if you remember but our staple diet in London was <laughs> fish you said fingers. this in the last one fish fingers oh, Sorry. fish fingers smash and pe frozen peas and parsley sauce out of a packet yeah <laughs> well and here we were do you know what mum just before you continue like when i think of like that's what i was going to say was it's such a shock to suddenly arrive in the middle of the countryside you know but with with the little that you could do you know mm. i can't even begin to imagine what that would be like well, I can't even begin to imagine what Tony must have thought. What on earth have I done, this useless woman? I, I remember once, very early on, we were going, not immediately, but it was just before we went over to Kathleen's and I was trying to light a fire. And my idea, <laughs> my idea of lighting a fire was to put this big block of wood in the fireplace with a fire lighter underneath. That was the level, that was the level of my understanding of what you had to do. We were also in very heavily into a macrobiotic diet at the time. Yes, the beans, so, the beans, beans the beans, 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 the beans and the beans. But I mean, you know, here I am talking about the effect on my life. What must it have been like for you? God knows. I mean, you didn't have any say in the matter. <laughs> You were uprooted and dragged wherever I was going. But see, I've always said this to people, like once you have at least one parent who is a solid foundation, a child 
is fine to go anywhere and do anything, they will adapt because they have that solid parent or person in their life. Mm. Why? Yeah. And I was probably young enough. No, I have no. I said it recently. I have no memory of even national school before Kilnamana before that was fourth class i've no memory you went at four four. i know but i've no memory of going to school in kilmockridge none there is zilch like it there's no memory there nothing Mm. i've no i remember going to kilnamana because it was quite traumatic for me but Mm. i've like no recollection of going to kilmockridge none none at all none and I don't have any recollection really of any time before that. I could say to you, yes, but it's all, you could then go to the photo albums and pull out a photo to correlate, you know, to coincide, not correlate with that memory. So the memories are not mine, they're of the photos. Acquired. Yeah. No, I'm not, yeah. maybe not, yeah, maybe not even acquired, but just I can, you know, I could say to you, that we had this or we did this and then there is a photo to back that up so it's it's just from the photos but so yeah maybe it was maybe it was traumatizing in that sense because I don't remember any of it possibly yeah sorry no there's no I'm not blaming I'm just saying maybe that's why you know maybe yeah I don't I just don't have any memories well, I mean, what I have to say is that Tony is, was the most incredibly practical man and the work that he did on the house and all the rest of it was just extraordinary. Yeah, you know, amazing. We could not, like, we couldn't have existed if he hadn't been him. There's no, no way we could. No. I mean, we must have been, pe- people must have looked at us like these things that had appeared from outer space we absolutely could, we have to remember that like talk about there being no hip no hippies in the village like there were no colored people if mm. you saw a black man it was probably lenny henry in dublin it wasn't you know, even that mum the first colored person i think that was ever in kilmuckridge was our cousin jason Yes, you're probably quite right. Actually. And I, I very clearly remember them coming over. And I do remember this, but I was a bit older. So um, well, that, I, was I, Becky, that was when I was pregnant with Becky. So that was nice. Well, I don't remember that then. But I do remember even when I was sort of early teens and going into the village with my, you know, with Jason and Felicita, who are mixed race and the 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 stairs and the you know it just they just weren't it wasn't a thing you know and you didn't have as you said it was all anyone that was anytime it was seen was on telly there was no real life people um and then as you said the hippie like just to explain to people where we lived was very rural I mean it was rural rural it was about a mile and a half outside a village village of Kilmockridge I don't know if there are people probably not I know a friend of mine lives there now but um like we as mum said we lived up a lane in the middle beside a farm and uh 
I know you've said I've I heard you say recently that the neighbors she was very good to you. Mm. Yes, she was. Mm. She was. She was. I mean, <laughs> I think there was a little element of um, of uh, we're. This is going to sound absolutely terrible, but I think there was a little element of. Um, taking us to a certain extent under their wing yeah you know yeah like you know we've we've got to know these weird people yeah oh absolutely i'm but, sure there was but the neighbors that we're talking about i mean they were really good to us yeah. really really good to us i have to say um and not only just to add and i know people heard anna say it in her podcast but or her recording but not only that but hippies English, yeah. Uh, yeah. non-farming, and not Catholic as well. <laughs> and this was the time. This was the time that you know. Yeah. People read about now the 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 unquestioning respect to the priests. Mm. I I I can remember my my feelings of absolute wonderment at the unquestioning respect that the priest got and people you know dropping little things into him and mm. you know buying cars oh it was probably the parish actually that bought the cars but you know it it was just this unquestioning respect for religion in the form of the priest which is something that was completely the catholic priest. of everything the catholic priest yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. must say now that the the um the Church of Ireland priest was was very very good to us, Canon Stewart. He really was. Um, you know, we were obviously recognized. It was recognized that we weren't um, mm. Catholic, and we we you know we'd get a call. We'd get a call. I mean, we were very far outside of the community because I don't know if it's like that these days, but I think it is even to a little extent that news was exchanged at mass. Yes, yeah. News at mass. You knew who died, you knew who got married, you knew who'd been born, you knew this, you knew that. And of course, we never knew any of that because we didn't go to mass. Well, they were probably talking about you anyway, half the time. Well, when I first moved in. Yeah, they probably were. Um, but we had another farmer, actually, who was actually quite kind to us oh, as yeah. well. Because, yeah. His um, land backed onto ours so how just I didn't know that you'd rented the house how did you come to buy it and who from well um from John Furlong no uh, Eddie Furlong right who had lived there um his wife hated it so um oh, really moved out and we actually bought it for 1800 pounds they wanted 2000 pounds and they knocked off £200 to get the lane done up. And as you know, we never got the lane done no. up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we did it. We, we did put in a cattle grid. That was about it. Um, yeah, the first, that first, well, don't forget, I had Anna at the beginning of December. So mm. we arrived in July. So as the months went on in 1972, I was getting more and more pregnant. Oh, stop. Um, and it wasn't a wonderful pregnancy, was it? None of you them. You did were. allude in the first 
interview you weren't a fan of pregnancy <laughs> hated hated pregnancy so we we developed we we i can't i don't think we planted any vegetables that first year but we got hens and ducks and we decided that we would um have a little christmas fund so we bought 50 baby turkeys yeah <laughs> and we had a little, we had a little we had a little shed on the property which was there when when we arrived one of the old-fashioned i think they used to keep the pig in it the pig yeah that was it. yeah so that was grand so tony did a bit of converting around and um walled off the back of this shed and put the 50 turkeys in there and a week later they had the whole shed <laughs> and a week later tony had to build an extension to the shed and a week later he had to build an extension to the extension because they know so quickly oh my the plan God. was that we would be buying a bag of food you know feed every week so you know we'd be putting the money into that it was no lump sum and then come Christmas, we'd sell the turkeys and we'd have the lumps on. Yeah. I remember very clearly walking up the field, followed by 49 baby turkeys because one died. And I was very heavily pregnant in my long skirts and all the rest of it. And they used to follow me up the field. <laughs> I have the picture. It's almost like I'm looking at a satellite image of myself walking up the field with wow. the turkeys. Well, tell the story about the turkeys, though. So I had Anna was born on the 4th of December. And by the way, I must just say another thing. At that time, I was in a, the maternity ward in Wexford Hospital. Was between 25 and 30 beds, I would say. Mm. And I was, the only, I was the only person breastfeeding. Still probably there's not, it's not that different these days either. You didn't well, breastfeed me, though, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> so anyway, um, just before Christmas, I suppose, probably 19th-ish of, of December, the turkeys were going to market. So turkeys had their, uh, we had a van at the time, um, uh, you know, a Toyota-type van. So the turkeys had their feet you know, tied together and into the back of the van they went. And I remember opening the gate and the van driving out thinking, oh God for that. And waiting all day. No, no telephone or anything like that, don't forget. No. And then come late afternoon, I heard the van pushing up the hill again, went and opened the gate and looked in the in the window to Tony. Well, well, he said, look in the back. And I said, what? And there they all were, every oh, single turkey, because he had taken live turkeys to the dead turkey market. <gasps> no! So we spent the whole of that night plucking turkeys. There were turkeys oh my God. everywhere. Remember Anna in the pram and she covered with turkey feathers. Oh my goodness, it was just unbelievable so yeah, we had a similar 
you didn't continue on with your turkey farming no that that was that was the end of the turkey <laughs> experiment there were a good few experiments after that Mike. there were yes the year of the new potatoes oh god we planted an acre of new potatoes because as everybody knows when Wexford new potatoes when they first come out you get really good price for them the day we dug them all up the price halved oh god and then there was the christmas tree <laughs> the year we planted the christmas oh, trees stop. That, that everybody else planted christmas trees as well so you couldn't sell them for life but you know what it's all part of life's rich journey isn't it it is so oh, you had I, to learn things pretty quickly really you were sort of thrown in the deep end well it was that or go back to england did you ever feel like that i did, did you ever feel so, like what the fuck have i done yes definitely Often? um no i think it was in those first few months when literally i just I felt so useless. Tell, right. So tell me, once you had Becky as well, 11 months, no, 13 months after you had Anna, <laughs> and Tony and was then going out fishing, wasn't he? So he wasn't around as much. No, he wasn't. And still with no inside plumbing. My God. Or washing machine. First two years. Terry nappies. Terry nappies. Terry nappies. I wonder how many of your listeners have used Terry nappies. Probably not many, but there are people using reusable wash. Remember Anna did with Ella. And Ryan did. Did he? Yes, he did with Hmm. Owen. Yeah, for a while. Yes, Anna did. Anna was determined to. Mm. Yep. Um, And, you know, you learn. You have to learn. And quite honestly, like the more I got pregnant and then had Anna and then got pregnant with Becky, like you don't really you get on with what you have to get on with. You don't you haven't got time really to be wishing things were different because they can't be different. Mm. Really though? Or is that what you told yeah, yourself? Yeah. Did you feel yeah. like like I mean how how were your family or your sisters, I suppose, about it all, about you being this hippie, about living this alternative lifestyle with this weird, not weird, but sort of very, yeah, weird ma- hippie man, you know, I mean, how, what was their reaction? I think if I were honest, there was, there was a little element of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. From you or them? from them right you know i mean we had no telephone no uh it was all letters well the nearest telephone was the village Mm. which was you know as you said a mile and a half away up an incredibly steep hill and i look at that (laughs) hill i've driven it recently and it's not that steep when you look at it these days (laughs) no it's steep enough i tell you what it was bloody steep pushing a pram with two small children in to take you to school I know. And do you remember when you first went to kill Mockridge? You and Anna, actually. So Anna probably went to school at four-ish. 
Yeah, because she was December, so she probably was. I mean, I had to, to walk down to Kilmockridge with you and Anna to get the bus because I know ultimately the bus actually stopped at the gate, but it didn't in that time. Oh, for Kilmockridge? So yes. So I had to walk down to the bus and then walk down again to meet you. No, but Anna would, would have been... I was going into fourth class. So I was about 11. Was it that late when you went yeah. to Kilnan? Yeah, I went in into fourth class. Yeah. Did you? So you were in national school for six years? Well, what? Oh, sorry. But that, that's... Um, what do you mean I was in national school for six years? I was... Well, five years. Well, junior infants, infants, one, two, three. That's five years. I didn't think you were in there that long. Yeah. Oh, you in Kilmockridge, you mean? Yeah. 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 Were you? Yeah, it was. It was fourth class. I I'll always remember. And Anna is four years younger than me, so she probably was in first class? No. Fourth. No, she started school in Kilnamana. So she would have gone into junior infants. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't think she did. I, I think she was in Kilmockridge. I don't think so. Or maybe I'm thinking Becky started. You, so. I'd say you're thinking Becky. Mm, possibly, yeah. Or Ryan, even. No, 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 no. No, no. You went to Kilnamana before that. Anyway, yeah, so, so we survived and we grew elef elephants. Where did that come from? <laughs> no, we honestly didn't grow elephants. We grew vegetables. Um, we we bred horses, huge, big Shire horses. I was Tony terrified Hyman. of. Yes. The first horse we had, of course, was Christmas, which was your horse that you were terrified of. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> it wasn't really my horse though, was it? It was just here's a horse for you. And then I was just like, ah. yeah. yeah. Um I started having I started breeding goats and making cheese and selling <laughs> goats milk. And I hate and anything goaty. <laughs> except you were the first person who could milk a goat. That's right, yeah. You I milked, milk I milked them I for a good, yeah, I was milking them for a while. That's the artistic, artistic hands. <laughs> yeah, Martha, that was my first goat, Martha. Gosh. Yeah, loved my goats, loved them. I remember, um, my God, you did. Yeah, I did. Capricorn, you are. <laughs> I am. And ultimately, um, Tony took the thatch off the house and built on an extension with the help of pj's uh, uncle we won't go there uh, very small world though when you think about it i know isn't it just yeah so we gained another two bedrooms well the second bedroom in the original house was like a cupboard anyway yeah you remember oh i do remember so we two good sized bedrooms and a bathroom and lovely porch which is sort of where we lived really during the week we called it yeah. the porch but it wasn't it was like it a 
Yeah, it was like a dining room sort of, wasn't it? So that was great. Everybody was set. And then I got pregnant again. You did with the golden child. Quite unexpectedly. (laughs) With the golden child. I'm not going to actually react to that comment. With the golden (laughs) child, the boy. (laughs) Which is funny, really, because... Before he was born, the amount of people that said to me, as Irish people do, I have the three girls. When are you going to go for the boy? And we had no intention in the world, none, of going again and hoping for a boy. No intention. Wow. But it was right then. It happened. (laughs) Yeah, he was meant to be, obviously. And so... And I must just say something else, going right the way back to when we first came to Ireland. There were two people in my life that really and truly um, helped me through all my difficulties, and that was Tony's parents. Mm. Granddad. I know they weren't my granny and granddad, but I called them granny and granddad to the day that they died. And they were substitute parents for me. Well, I was going to say that to you. It's like one of the things that meeting Tony brought to you was actually a sense of family. Now, I know you have your sisters, but they were your sisters. But the sense of feeling like a part of a family. And I've had I mean, I I don't know if you remember. Well, I'm sure you do. When I met PJ and he used to be like, they're your you know, they're your heart, like they're your step. They're not your like because I would call cousins and, you know, all Tony's side of the family. I just call them aunts and cousins or whatever. And he'd go, well, they're not your blood cousins. And I go, but they've always been part of my family. And I, I think that's what meeting Tony gave you was a sense of family a a sense of sort of now everyone all families are different and we all like you know my family huh I think that's very true but you grew up not in the bosom of a family I suppose is what I'm trying to say you you grew up in boarding school you had a stepmother who was not nice you know and all of a sudden there was this there was granny and granddad and there was these sister Tony's sisters and you know all this extended family I suppose that were just suddenly there so you got you were given that it was like that's part of what being with him was gave you as well well I think quite honestly I felt the feeling of of family towards the Coop family more than he did Mm. oh yeah because because he had been because Tony had been such a um a loose cannon all his life yeah you know um and certainly I would like to think that towards the end of her of her days um you know, I, I, I would really like to think that I was a great comfort to his mother. Mm, I'm sure you were. Because she, that's she the way you can look at it. After she moved to Kilmockridge, um, you know, she was literally just down the road. Yeah, I would really like to pay respect to them. They were, they were marvelous. They really were absolutely marvelous. 
And we did become a part of the community to a certain extent. Um, you sure did. We, we, we I think that was down to you though. Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't. I mean, Absolutely you, like, I, I look back now, I suppose, as an adult woman and, you know, the admiration I have for you, apart from being my mother, but thinking about everything that, like, you, you've overcome in your life, in your adult life, you know, and I'm not saying it was all there was awful, like there were it was all awful, but I mean there's been so much, and you still like I remember for years, and I still say it, describing you as one of the strongest people I've ever known. And I think sometimes that label that was given to you by a lot of people over the years was could have been to your detriment as well, because you were you always felt you had to put on portray that Mitch is a strong woman and then to let your guard down when times were tough was hard for you to actually open up and go yeah that was actually not great you know you still you still put up those yeah no I can cope and I'm Mitch the you know really strong woman and I you know, and I, I still, I've said it to you before, and I'm not going to talk about any of the things, but I've said it to you before where I think to your it was to your detriment in the sense that because you never dealt with a lot of that stuff, including childhood stuff, I'm not even talking about as an adult, but childhood stuff, and you pushed it all down, you developed autoimmune stuff because of that. I think that's the way it came out in you, you know? Um mm. I would agree to a certain extent. It is something that I have been, as you know, mm. looking at with, with my lovely Laura. Yeah. Um, oh, I probably shouldn't have mentioned her name. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. No. And my answer to her is that actually, I don't think I was a very strong person. I think I did what I had to do, not because I was strong, but just because... I couldn't see any other way to do it. I can't really explain it. Well, you were in the time and in the moment. Yes, exactly. But I don't like I don't really think I deserve any praise for my. I think there came a point in my life and I'm not going to go there because there are people probably who are listening to this who actually know what I'm talking about. Mm. There came a point in my life where. I did actually find a strength and I think I have built on that ever since then. But in earlier part of my life, I, I think I just did what I did because I didn't, couldn't see any other way. I, I, no, I'm not, I agree with you to that point. And I mean, I, we've had this conversation and again, I'm not, there's no, like nothing I say is blame game or anything like that, but you know, I like I will preface what I'm about to say in that. Um, for instance, my relationship with Tony, my relationship with Tony as a teenager was horrendous. And I 
like now we have a brilliant relationship and I, I, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm a person that doesn't hold grudges and doesn't, you know, I like, I don't think like he did bully me and there's no getting away from that. You know, one day I would love to think I can have a clear out conversation with him about it. I'm getting really emotional talking about this. This is awful. And I have gone through times where I've been in counselling and stuff and I've questioned why you stayed with him or let him do those things to me because I'm a mother now and now but now I can look back and go you were doing your best at the time and I there's no you know I'm not there's no I know you've said to me oh I feel guilty that I you know but I don't know what you were doing in the background and I know that when I went to Spain that was you giving me an out giving me an escape I suppose um and I don't hold any blame on you either you know and I know this is hard for you to hear from me but yeah over I mean over the years I have questioned it but also over the years I've learned that we as human beings make mistakes or we do things to to survive at the time I can look back at my parenting of my children and go why the fuck did I do that or how did I let that happen you know so no one is perfect no one there's no one there's not one person that can stand up and go I'm perfect I did a good job you know we do our best at the time with what we have um I think the problem comes when you look back on the type of scenario that you're talking about and question whether you did do your best I think that's where the problem starts but you can't go back no I know that and I mean that will be written on my grave you know you can't change the past you can't full stop finish but sometimes you have to open that door and look at it as well you know Mm -hmm. and I mean can you imagine how it makes me feel like that's why part of me didn't want to bring it up but then I thought you know this is my this is us talking about you being here in Ireland and all the things you know having come to Ireland with me and all the things that have gone on obviously we can't go into everything that has gone on I don't mean that in a hiding way I just mean there's a lot but um I just yeah I I don't even know yeah the strong you you know and I like when you talk about when you arrived and all the few skills that you had you still made a home for us all of us you know you made like I never lived in screen but I still call it my home because you're my home as far as I'm concerned you are my home the you know I don't even call my this house my home because so in that sense you have to say you were and are a wonderful mother because you always gave us that grounding no matter what you created a home from nothing you created a home from no knowledge really either you know you just, and as you said you did your best at that time and maybe some things did slip by that today you look back and go, 
I shouldn't have let that happen or I should have done something differently. But we have to be at peace with those things now today and say it did happen. And hopefully I learned from it or hopefully, you know, I don't know what I mean. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, you can't change the past, you know. No. But you can well, make peace I... with the past as well. I've, uh, uh, you can make peace with the past. I do believe that. Yes, and, I, think, and I, I really admire you for the fact that you have made peace with a lot of shit from your past, as you know, as we know. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I was just going to say that um, we did actually become part of the community because I think anyway, when you have kids going to school, mm. um, it is it is how you get, I can't say make friends, but how you get to know the community. Um, we, we became Remember? part of of a thing Tops called the Tops parish, of the yeah, <laughs> Tops of the parish, which was the most brilliant fun. I have it was. To say. I it really was. It. There's a little bit of a thespian in me, and um, it was great fun. It really was great fun. And Tony was involved in it as well, and he enjoyed mm. it too. Uh, I start along with some other people, other women. I started. Um, the girl guides in Kilmockeridge because there was such an emphasis on scouts for boys. Now these days there's no there's no demarcation lines between scouts and girl guides, but there was mm. then. So I was a brown owl. Mm, I remember. Yeah. Did I get some slagging for being a brown owl? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I made a I made I, I made a point of always volunteering for you know school committees and stuff like that of course you get stuck in that rut as well because it's always the same people who volunteer but um you know i think we were to a certain extent um we was we were always outsiders but i think we were we did work bloody hard mm. to survive god you know and some shit was kept behind closed doors that nobody could have known about. Um, and yeah, I think we did, to a certain extent, become part of the community. Um, it's funny what you were saying when about the first time you came to Ireland and you were driving down through Wicklow and you mm. felt that sense of coming home. Because when you were saying that, I, I feel it the opposite way. When I go to England, I get that feeling. Do you? Yeah. I yeah. never knew that. Yeah, it's it's weird. If I like really? if things were different and if me, you know, PJ split up tomorrow, I think I'd move to England. Would yeah. you? Yeah. Where? Uh probably somewhere around Bristol. Me too. And not I just mean, because I, I... of Becky and Macy and stuff. I just I love it around there. I love the artistic so thing about it. I love, and I like that it it's close to home, as in Ireland, you know. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I get that feeling. I've always got that feeling every time I go to England. It's like this, you know. That's extraordinary. I never knew that. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I must say also just to 
I'm quite sure we we really should finish. Yes. <laughs> but I would also like to say that when we first came to Ireland, we met friends mm. that we are still friends with. Yeah, you did. Through various different <laughs> real coincidences and, you know, and they're still friends. Even so, though some of those, you know, those relationships have split up, you're, you still have the friendships. We do. We do. And, you know, I really, really value friends mm. and friendships, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm still here. You are still in Wexford. And like, as you so often say, you feel more of an Irish woman than you do, you know. I mean, you've lived here yeah, longer than you ever lived in England. That's like 49 years. And you still and can't get a passport. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, for those that don't know, I yeah. have been denied an Irish passport. Well, not denied. Um, you can buy it, get it for a thousand. Oh, yeah. yeah. If Same as myself. <laughs> if anybody wants to give me 1,400 euros, I'd be very happy to go through the actually funnily enough i heard on the news today there was a citizenship you know one of those embargo um, no there was a citizenship um oh a conference thing yeah. yeah ah and whenever i whenever i hear that my stomach does a somersault but anyway i'm i'm not good enough for the art for to be an irish person even though i consider myself to be irish well, as I keep getting told every time I say that myself, people go, yes, you can. You just, there's loads of people get it. <laughs> yeah, for, pay 1,400 euros. Yeah. Why should I? Yeah, I know. Why should I? I've been here 49 years. 49 years. <laughs> I, I, I own Irish property. I've had Irish children. I've worked for the Irish government. I pay Irish tax. You know, what else do you have to do? To, and married an Irishman. Yeah, but you only married him 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I only married him to get a passport. And unfortunately, they <laughs> changed the, <laughs> the rule. <laughs> Not so, darling. I know, I know. Listen, Mum, anyway. thank you so much. I will have you on oh. again for something totally different at some stage. Um, oh, I just hope I haven't bored your followers today how could you have bored like it's fascinating oh. don't say that see you're putting yourself down it's been wonderful i've really enjoyed it. and thank you so much because i'm sure i know t going down memory lane can be a bit triggering sometimes as well so <laughs> well, for both of us apparently yeah yeah but i it's it's great and it like as you quite rightly said this podcast is about me and my or my life yes. experiences and of you've been the most the biggest influence on my life obviously so it's been really good and uh, thank you for being you and thank you for everything well thank you for growing into the wonderful person that you are and if i don't say goodbye now i'm going to start crying oh stop bye <laughs>